Good morning. Good morning, New Zealand. <laughs> Auckland. All over. I guess you guys have church going on all over the place. Well, good morning. Yes, I, it's been a long time since I've been here, though. Uh, 15 or 16 years, I believe. So I think a bit has changed in Auckland, maybe. Well, I want to start with prayer. I'm going to get my notes up. and I'm always... Um, I'm always really humbled when pastors allow me the confidence and the trust uh, to stand on their platform. So I just, I want you guys to know it's, it's something that I don't take lightly because my husband and I have uh, we've been in that position of leadership and, and where we've, you know, we've given those that we love, you know, over to someone else to sow into their life. And so I just want to pray today that, um, that I would sow good things into your life. So, Father, as we are knit together forever, each and every one of us in this room, I'm aware of the fact that there will be an eternal connection here for the rest of our lives. Yes, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we will spend eternity together. But Lord, more than anything, there are reasons unknown that you choose to catch us all up in your story together. There are reasons that we may not see right now, but we may see in 24 hours or in 24 years for why you brought me here today to share. So more than anything, I ask that it would be your words and your heart that come through me, Lord. And that every person here today would know that you communicate straight from your throne room into each and every one of us. So in Jesus' name, we stand here with expectation, honor, and love. For you alone are holy, Lord, and you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, why don't you guys go ahead and have a seat? Am I turned the right way with the podium? Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I was thinking, hmm, I, feel, I think I should be turned this way. Okay. Well, this morning, you guys, I, you know, I was praying a lot uh, in the last few days before coming here because I find it, because I travel around the world and I share and I speak a lot, I'm always humbled by the fact that God's kids are different everywhere you go. You know, there's a different climate. There's a different need. There are different lessons and things that he's sowing into the lives of us as believers, not just for our homes and our families, but for our nations. And so as I really have spent some time praying about what I could share this morning, I have to have you know that most of what I share comes from my own testimony because each and every one of us has a testimony Right, And the word says we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Well, that's the testimony of the things that God has done in each of our lives. Each of you has a resume with God. It may be this big for some of you. It may be miles long for others of you. And depending on how long you live and how old you are, that resume will get fuller and fuller and fuller. And it's such a blessing to have a resume with God because you can look back on it and you can trust it. See, how many of you know in the Bible we have all of these stories of men and women who trusted God and their faith was counted to them not only as righteousness, but they saw their promises. Some of them not here, but they saw their promises. 
So that's for us today. But we also have our own personal story that God is writing. You know, and in that story, it became apparent to me that everything and every message that any of us share, every piece of our testimony is really and truly about the one great thing required to live successfully in the world today. And that is identity. It's a clarity about your identity in Christ. And so many things want to work against our identities in Christ in the world that we live in. So many things, you know, whether it's media and TV and magazines, TV shows, things that seem small yet really and truly are sowing into our life as powerfully as the word of God and as the identity that we're supposed to have in Christ is trying to sow into our lives. One of the greatest things that I have found in my story with God and in my travels around the world is that there are there is something that is so dangerous to your your calling it's a it's a dangerous thing and that word is secrets secrets you see for many people you will come to know if you don't already know that secrets have to be pulled into the light in order to be dealt with because it is in the light that darkness is quenched, it's put out. So this morning I wanna start in Luke with a scripture that, two, two scriptures in Luke, Luke 8, 17, which says, for nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. And then if you jump right over to Luke 12, verses two to three. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. This is where I wanna start this morning. The definition of a secret according to Wikipedia is something that is kept or meant to be kept unknown or unseen by others. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time for the secrets to come into the light. Mm-hmm, it is time, it is time. You know, and I, I love it, you know, when, you, when you, you tell someone, shh, don't tell her, shh, don't let him know. There's always something about that statement that makes me crazy because it usually implies, if you really think about it, that something you shouldn't be doing is occurring or something you don't want others to know is occurring or has occurred. Shh. But see, you have to know that, it, that, that when that moment happens, it's important that you understand that you're stepping into a dark place and you're stepping out of the light. You know, there are, uh, there are also things that, about secrets that, that make me say, well, why can't I tell everybody? I mean, why can't I unburden myself sometimes from a secret that someone else has laid on me? Now, I don't know if, 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 anything, if anything about this strikes you as odd, but have you ever know, noticed that, you know, when things are fair, even in a work situation, right? 
you, you should be able to tell everybody. It shouldn't be a secret. And I, I found myself laughing at this recently when, when, I can't remember who it was, but it was an actress who worked on the same film as Johnny Depp, and then it became a big scandal because she made $12, he made $12 million. And everybody was talking about it, and I thought, God, that is so funny. But that's a huge secret that they had to have kept from her. And why? Well, because it wasn't fair. And, and that's why we're all reading about it in magazines, because it wasn't fair. And so the light exposes the things that are not fair. It exposes the things that are wrong. That's why it's important to draw those secrets into the light. Because when you test things against the light, you can find the fairness in them. More importantly, when you test things against the light, you can find the freedom in them. And that's why the word says, the truth will set you free. You know, there's something else about, about secrets. They're incredibly burdensome. You ever notice that the weight of a secret, it's just, it's heavy. You're constantly checking yourself. You don't know what might go on or what might follow you in the room in front of you or behind you. But there's something else about secrets too that I find really, really, really awful. And it, and it has to do with, with Genesis 2.25. And so I want you to just make a note of this or read with me. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, why didn't Adam and his wife feel shame when they were naked in the garden? Because there was no sin involved. You can't feel shame when there's no sin involved. See, God didn't create us to experience shame. Do you understand that? God did not create us to experience shame. We know shame because of sin. And we experience shame today because of sin. Sin that was done by us, or in some horrible cases, sin that was done to us. And I don't know about you, but I have to tell you that the weight of shame is one of the heaviest weights that I have ever carried in my life. Being unburdened by the shame of things done to me and the shame of things that I did even response to things done to me was like having shackles around my feet, making me stumble in my calling, causing me to want to run but not to be able to. And that's, that's where those secrets start to take on a whole secondary life now. Now those secrets don't just cause guilt to the person who's done something wrong, but they cause shame to the person who's maybe been the recipient of a wrong. And that cycle begins to multiply itself. It begins to wage a war in your mind. The battlefield is the mind. How many of you have ever heard Joyce Meyer say that? Well, the battlefield is the mind. And shame can wage a huge war in your mind. Guilt wages a war in your mind. We were not created to live in that kind of darkness. We were created to live in light. We're created to bathe our minds in light and to experience freedom in the mind, not bondage, not war. So shame in the New Testament, interestingly enough, my husband was, re was researching this morning, the word shame is often used in the New Testament as the same word as anxiety or confounded. 
confounded meaning to throw into confusion or disorder. You understand now the battlefield of the mind feels a lot like confusion and disorder. Shame when someone has done something to you. Shame when you're carrying secrets about things that have occurred in your life. Guilt because of those secrets of what you've done or what you've allowed or what you've seen. All of that begins to throw your mind into disorder and confusion. So see, it's important to guard your mind because your thought life can be dangerous. The secrets of what you think when no one is around, the secrets of what you say or how you behave when no one else in church is looking can destroy you because Satan uses shame. God doesn't. God doesn't have any power in shame. Satan has a bazooka gun waiting to blow your life apart with the weapon of shame. And he wants to use it. So why do I go there? And I have to tell you, I go there because in my own personal testimony, I lived with the weight of secrets for years. Secrets that were caused by someone else, by other people. Secrets that caused shame. Shame because of sin, because there was sin in my story. Not even my sin initially, because I was a child when some of the things that happened to me happened to me. But the mindsets that become broken in some, in some children's lives create broken lifestyles. And in those broken lifestyles, sin abounds. So in my own story, because it dawned on me, well, you know, I've never met all of you. And so I never want to stand in front of anyone, especially young people, because I, I, love, I love young people. I love speaking to young people because young people can see phony from seven miles away. You know why? <laughs> because young people have so much information coming at them today. In social media, on the internet, you can Google it, you can Yahoo it, you can search it, you can engine it, you can fine tune it, you can photograph it, you can Instagram it, Snapchat it, you, you follow me? There's so much coming at them that I think that young people have to become sniffers of phony really early. Now that's sad in a lot of ways. It is because I wish for every young person that you could live in a fantasy of life is so perfect and good forever. But for young people that today, because of the world that we live in, they're just getting a lot more a lot faster. And a lot of it isn't great. So in that, I share my testimony because I think it's important that you understand that anything that I say to you, I don't say because I haven't lived it, experienced it, eaten it, smoked it, drank it, or laid down with it, okay? So I'm just gonna keep it real with you. So when I say something, I say it from a place of total compassion and empathy, but total understanding also. Because when I counted the cost in my life, and I was literally on red carpets, and all of my friends were famous, and private planes, and lots of privilege, and my own TV shows, and with my name on them, and all of the things I thought I wanted from childhood. But when I counted the cost, I counted it all as lost because I knew that there was no excellency in those pursuits. The excellency was, as scripture says, in the joys of knowing Christ. 
Why? Because that's where the power was found in my life. See, I thought the power would come through fame when I was young or success when I got to be in my 20s and 30s because it's success that drives a lot of people. Men hear me on this. Success. You wrap your identities up in success. How many offices you have? How much money you have? How big is your church? How big is your reach? How big is your influence? I'm here to tell you that your influence isn't important in terms of numbers. Your influence is important in terms of the one. If you can impact one person, then you've changed the world. You know, I'm reminded of a young woman who, uh, she, 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 was, she, she had a Bible study when she was younger. She's long gone. And in that Bible study, my husband shared with me was Billy Graham and Bill Bright. Now, some of you may know who Bill Bright is, right? YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And we all know who Billy Graham is. Nobody knows who that woman is. We don't know who she is. Two lives that changed the entire world. So the definition of your success should never, ever, ever be measured by your story, what people think your earthly story is, what people think your earthly name is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. In my earthly story, the reason why I say I lived with the weight of secrets for so many years is because those secrets threatened to um, expose me. I wasn't ready to deal with those secrets. Some of those secrets involved childhood sexual abuse, and I didn't know what to do with that. Because of my childhood sexual abuse, which occurred in my home, which was called incest, my ability to even be intimate with people was so destroyed from early on. And how many of you know, and you need to know, because I think in the world that we live in, we confuse the, we use the word intimacy really loosely. Intimacy is actually about your ability in your mind and in your heart to be naked and vulnerable with people that you're close to. There's a trust that's implied in an intimate relationship. And that's necessary before the body ever becomes involved on your wedding night. But see, when you're sexually abused in your own home, in the environment in which you're supposed to feel that close trust, safety, ability to be naked and vulnerable and be who you are, when, when, when something is broken there, all of a sudden your ability to relate to other people as you go through your life gets affected. Your ability to relate to your husband or wife gets affected. I think it's why there are so many marriages broken in the Christian kingdom today. Because in large part, so many of us don't understand what true intimacy really is. So what happens? You start to grow up with this sort of thing in your life, as I did, with this secret, the secret sin of sexual abuse that occurred, not at my hands, I was a child, but at the hands of someone else. But now my intimacy button is broken. And you know what happens? You grow up and you become a young person who can give your body a lot easier than you can give your mind and your heart. And that's why today we have something I believe called the hookup culture of young people who can give themselves away so easily because they don't understand that there's, a, there's something important about their body and it's connected to their heart and their mind. They're broken. 
So by the time I became a teenager, it's probably no coincidence that rape followed me. Once again, there was a door that was open physically in the realm of sin, and it got me again. So now I'm completely living my life with a lot of walls up, a lot of walls, you know, and, and in a battle in my mind, completely. And so then by the time I get to, well, let's see, my mid-20s, with all of these walls and all of these secrets and all of this shame, the real weight of shame, all of a sudden what happens doesn't really surprise me when I look back. I have my first relationship, my heart gets broken, so I rebound to another guy. Uh, we date for one month. Um, and then after one month, we talk for a month on the phone. And because of my secrets, he, which he didn't know, I just by month three ran off to get married to him because I needed to escape the world that I was living in. And it was a world of privilege and famous friends and drugs and alcohol. Why drugs and alcohol? Because how many of you know that those are the things you use to fill a void? You use relationships. I was using a guy. You use drugs, you use alcohol. Now there's a great big hole in your existence. That broken lifestyle has, has now started to, to, to come to fruition. And so now all of a sudden, you, you, you may say you believe in God, but your lifestyle doesn't reflect that of someone who believes in God. There are still things that are reflective of your flesh involved. So then I end up in jail in a foreign country on day 10 of my marriage to the guy that I really didn't know. And it was there in that prison cell in Italy that I remember asking myself, how God, how did this happen to me? How? And you know, the interesting thing is that he began, he began saying to me, well, the secrets are killing you. And they were. The weight of shame was, had me so burdened down in this prison cell that I remember thinking, if I have to be here for the next 20 years, God, I don't care. I just need to know the answers. I need to know why. How did I end up here? I was 25 years old. I had graduated in the top of my class from law school, from a top 10 law school in the States. But see, you have to understand that your exterior success will never ever betray the secrets inside of you. Because there are many of us here who know that we live with things inside of us that we pretty up and we dress up and we get up and we press forward because that's what we really have to do. You know, when we're broken as young people, God gives us this incredible ability to survive. Like a soldier wounded on a battlefield whose leg has been blown off. He doesn't even really feel the pain of it until he's in a hospital a week later. You know why? It's called shock. He goes into shock. He has to, to cope. Many of us have been living our lives in shock for years. Many of us have been walking around with mechanisms to cope for years. But see, when you bring all of that into the light, you begin to be able to release your coping mechanisms and trust in God who saves, God who delivers, God who sets free. So there I am, and I'm, I'm in this jail cell in Italy, 
and, 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 and the shame that I felt before, which made me abuse myself with drugs or alcohol or relationships, now was increased because now my mother's child, my father's child who graduated in the top 10% of her class from a top 10 law school is in prison in Italy. None of this went with my story. But see, I'm so grateful that I was caught up in God's story because in those painful moments before I ran off with this guy that I knew three months and got married in Paris because I thought, well, on the outside, it looks really glamorous and good. On the inside, I know that this person, there's something wrong and off about this person, but I don't really have time to get to know this person because I'm too busy dealing with my own inner life and my own secrets that he knows nothing about. So I really can't deal with him. I can only deal with me. And he had a lot of secrets of his own. Most of his secrets involved the fact that he saw me as a, as a stupid, broken girl to be used, to be further abused. So by the time I said I do to him, we had 10 days of complete and total chaos and abuse. His kind words to draw me into a trap then became mental abuse and then verbal abuse. Now, I know that there are some of you in here who know today that verbal abuse can be worse than physical abuse. Some of you have had parents who've been careless with their words. Some of you have had friends or colleagues who are just careless and hurtful with their words. Your words are powerful. Your words have the ability to build up or to destroy. And I see this all the time. If you're a parent, I, I, I challenge you to think about the words that come out of your mouth. Set vision for the young people around you. Call forth vision in the older people around you who may be going into the best chapter of their life. But the words in our minds tell us we can't, we can't. They create fear. They create low self-esteem. They create doubt. Mostly they create anger with God and disbelief. How many of you have been, ever been angry with God? Or felt like God must not have been there for you? Because if he was, he wouldn't have allowed this to happen to you. Well, that's what I sat in a prison cell thinking. God, if you exist, then why did all these things happen to me as a little girl? Because really I'm just rebounding with this guy because I'm trying to figure out how to find love and I'm looking in all the wrong places. And if you're real and you love me, then reveal yourself to me. And that's exactly what I said. So I won't go into the whole story of my testimony because <laughs> it's a long story, but there's a reason why my book is called Prodigal Daughter a journey home to identity, and it's available on Amazon. And I gotta tell you, I sometimes marvel at my story because I marvel now today at the glory in my story. I marvel at how he took my mess and made a message. That's, that, that's what marvels me, is that my history is really his story. So see, from that prison cell, I would go on to be saved because I found out I was pregnant, to have a child from that marriage who was the glory and the joy of my life, who was a walking revival in every room that he walks into at 25 years old. He is so known on his university campus because he flipped the campus upside down for the name of Jesus. 
That's restoration. That's when you bring the secrets into the light. From that prison cell where I found the Lord, I would go on to have him walk me through cancer, which at the time I was famous in America and, and, and kind of at the height of a big TV show, and I didn't want anybody to know because you can't let anyone know that there's anything wrong with you because then they will not invite you for the castings or you may not get the job. But see, I have to go back to the one thing that God walked me through that's the most important thing, and it has to do with how I came to find the Word of God in that prison cell. And I'll quickly tell that story because, because it is glorious the way God allowed me to experience finding His Word. See, I felt really dumb by the time I landed in that prison cell. I felt really worthless. I felt like I had really just blown it for my life. And I went to sleep on day three, I had a dream. In my dream, an angel of the Lord came down to me. She was on a cloud, it was a woman. It was a her, I knew that. She was all dressed in white and she looked exactly like my grandmother. My grandmother is Italian, she had brown hair and big blue eyes. And so I had a familiarity with the, the angel in this dream. And as the angel was speaking to me, she held out her hand and in her hand there was a book and it said good news on it. And I remember seeing the words good news and I looked at her like, what is that? And she said to me, do you know what this is? This is God's word. And if you read it, it will change your life and he will save you. And I remember crying and crying and crying because I didn't know what she meant and I went to sleep and I woke up the next morning and the next morning I started writing this dream down on the back of a napkin because something in my spirit told me to journal everything I was going through. So I did. I figured it was my legal brain taking over. I figured it'd be my first act as an attorney. I was gonna write my way out of this mess because this was not my fault and I'd run off in a complete state of stupidity and married the wrong man looking for love in all the wrong places and what I was really looking for I found and his name was Jesus Christ. And you know how I found him? I found him because I woke up the next morning from that dream and a woman knocked on my door and her name was Signore Mariucha and she was the woman who ran the woman's side of the prison where I would be for three months. I would then be in Italy for two years under house arrest testifying against the man that I married, who it turned out had a whole assumed identity and had marked me for a passport and was trafficking drugs around the world to buy arms for the Serbian civil war that was going on in Yugoslavia. I was looking for Jesus. I didn't plan on finding all of that. <laughs> So I get this knock on the door and this Italian woman who loved me from hello because when I could really communicate with her because I'm fluent in Italian, she finally explained to me, you reminded me of my daughters. Guilt and innocence I see in the eyes immediately because I've been doing this for 20 some odd years and I knew you were innocent but really stupid. So she knocks on my door and with the help of a translator and an English-Italian dictionary, she basically comes and she says, there's a woman who wants to see you. Now it would turn out that I would find out when my Italian was perfected in a few months that this woman is the woman to the incarcerated. She is a nun who visits those in prison. So as she explains this to me, coming from the, the left, I see this little woman and she's walking at this very fast clip 
and she's approaching me and she's dressed all in white and as she comes into view, I'm really taken aback because she looks exactly like my Italian grandmother and exactly like the angel from my dream. And as she comes in front of me, now the cell, my cell is closed so I'm behind bars and as she comes in front of me, she reaches into my cell with a book in her hands and on the book are written the words, the good news Bible. And she says to me, do you know what this is? This is God's word and if you read it, he will save you. The glory in how God allowed me in all my stupidity, looking for him in all the wrong places to encounter him is such a testament to his love and mercy. And I have to tell you, know that the scripture that says, if you make your bed in hell, he will be there. Know that that is true because I had made a bed and I felt like I was in hell. He will pursue you to the ends of the earth, but it is up to you to read the book. It is up to you to take all of your secrets and bring them to the light, the light found in the word of God, where your deliverance and your freedom and your calling can truly take place. I opened that book, it was only a New Testament, interestingly enough, because see, I lived in California in celebrity culture where you've gotta find a way to be spiritual but make it about yourself. <laughs> I mean, you really can't have a God of rules. That's why Kabbalah and New Age mysticism and woo-woo this and wah-wah that and everything except be pure. Everything except sex is to be saved for the marriage bed. Everything except the word of God, which yes, it does have some rules, but those rules aren't to assure that God doesn't fall off the throne. Those rules are to assure that you live connected to the throne and therefore exist in power. Those rules are blessings for us because you see, when I started applying those rules to my life and many years later, I would meet a man who also believed, who knew the word of God inside out, who walked with me for four years of inner healing and never touched my body, but only accessed my mind. Those rules began to teach me what intimacy really is. Those rules healed me. Those rules help me understand that my mind and my thoughts and my, my smile was worth something. Young people, single people, if you're not married, hear me on this. Just you, just you, clothed you is worth so much. And if, the, if another person doesn't respect that and honor that, they are not worth your time. Pray for them, but walk away from them because you've got to yoke yourself together with someone who loves the Lord so much more than you that when his or her flesh is weak, he or she won't stumble and cause you to stumble with them. You have to do this thing. It's, the reason it's called partnership is because it takes two to be strong. Come on now. I'm human. I had ridden the bike before, you know? And you can't miss what you've never had in some ways. So I understand. And if you're divorced, because I was divorced, and let me tell you, the enemy tried to tell me, well, it really doesn't matter. Yes, it does. God gave me a testimony in my second marriage, which was my godly marriage, and restored my home and the child that I had, the child that saved my life 
the child that never knew his biological father, the child that walks in the same gifts in the Holy Spirit that my husband walks in, that child, that child has never known lack all the days of his life, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. And it's about bringing the secrets into the light. Isaiah 61.7 is one of my favorite scriptures because it says something that I think really, really is the promise that I want all of you to stand on this morning. Isaiah 61.7 says, instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. What a promise. That is the promise of those of you who choose to bring your secrets into the light. That is the promise for those of you who choose to live according to that light. You know, and I love John. I love the book of John, the gospel of John, because it says, you know, <laughs> the word was God, right? The word was with God was the light of the world. The light came into the world. Men didn't want it. The light, the word, God, they're all one. You bring your secrets to God. You bring them into the light. And that's where you find your freedom. So what I wanted to challenge you this morning to do, first of all, is to ask yourself the question, am I really ready to bring my secrets, to bring my guilt? the guilt of maybe things I've done, the shame that I feel for things that have been done to me that no one knows about. Am I ready to bring those things into the light? And if there is anyone here who is ready to bring those things into the light, I would just ask you to kind of raise your hand. Does anybody have anything that they know that they need the light of God, the power of God to deal with this morning? in a new way. Thank you, some honest people. Because see, I have my hand up. Because I will never stand in front of anybody and act like I don't daily have things that need to be brought into the light. Amen, 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 amen. You guys, you gotta know, thank you, amen, amen. A lot of hands, amen. See, because here's the deal. For all of you who are really being honest this morning, the only thing shameful about raising your hand at that kind of a question is not raising it because the word of God tells us that we are all sinners, that our righteousness is as filthy rags. That means on your best day, you're still dirty. We're all sinners saved by grace. So I would like you this morning now to bow your heads just all around the room. There's something really powerful about when you choose to bring these secrets, this guilt, this shame to the light. There's something powerful that has to happen and it's called forgiveness. So all around the room this morning, see some of you I think have been having thoughts. No, I know because the Lord's already told me. Some of you have been having thoughts about the person who did something to you. Some of you have been having thoughts about what you did to someone else. Well, Jesus Christ's whole gig on planet Earth is forgiveness. He died for the forgiveness of our sin. And I remember in that word, 
as I read in my prison cell many, many years ago in Italy, as I brought my secrets and my guilt and my shame to the light in the Word of God, I remember the ultimate thing that the Holy Spirit asked me was, would I forgive? And my response was, no way, no. Are you kidding me? I was sexually abused, God. I got raped. I married a man that lied to me and took advantage of my weakness at a moment in time. No, I can't forgive. Look where I am because of it. And God said, no, 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 daughter. You don't know where you're gonna be because of it. He said, daughter, you have to unchain all of that mess from your life. Forgiveness is something you don't understand. And I said, then I don't get it. What is it? What does forgiveness mean? Because I know that the child growing in my belly, I would never ask to die for anybody. And he said, forgiveness is not a Disney movie. It does not mean that you're gonna forgive the husband, the family member, the neighbor who raped you. It doesn't mean you're gonna forgive them and you're gonna now start hanging out and going to movies every week together. He said, for Pete's sakes, daughter, I've given you godly wisdom. If someone has done something wrong to one child, will you then turn around and send your other child? No, of course not. And then I thought, okay, that makes sense to me, God. Then what do I do? And he said, well, see, forgiveness, what it is, is it's taking your right to judge those wrong people and those wrong situations and giving it all to me. Give it to me. I am the great judge. I am the only one who understands the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. He said, daughter, listen to me. Broken people break other people, break other people, break other people, hurt people, hurt people. You don't understand what's gone on in the hearts of men, I do. And so in that moment, I chose then to forgive. And I'm telling you right now this morning, this is the greatest spiritual key that you can unlock in your life this morning is to let go of guilt and shame. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Even brethren who've done something to you, you see, when you keep their sin chained to your life, you can't go forward powerfully in your calling. And you know what? The reason why I say this so passionately is because, see, when Jesus said to me in a prison cell in Italy many years ago, I know where you're going, he knew exactly where I was going. He knew that on way back then, 25 and a half years ago, he knew that 25 and a half years later, I would be standing here in New Zealand, in Auckland at Equippers Church telling his children, please understand, take the secrets and the lies into the light and into the ability that I'm giving to forgive right now.